We're in the book of Acts. We're going to start in chapter 5. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read a lot of it for you today. So he's just been arrested for healing a lame beggar. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so was Caplius, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and again they questioned them. By what power or what name do you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, long story short, they sent them away. They had a long talk. They, so I'm going to pick it up again back in 18. And then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go because they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising them for what had happened. For the man who had been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. When Jesus told us that we need to tell others about our faith in him, he did not leave us to do it all by ourselves. Or did he? Does God help us when we witness? Let me give you a little history. About 350 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem, there was a man called Alexander the Great. Over a period of 15 years, Alexander the Great was almost in constant warfare and conquered most of the known world. He never defended a walled city and almost always battled the enemy in open field combat. And he never lost a battle. Because He knew his enemy. And he knew his men. And he was always in the very thick of the battle. If you study history, you will find a very interesting fact. During that 15-year period, in all the wars and the battles that he ever fought, Alexander was pretty much outnumbered in 95% of the time. 
That's a historical fact. In fact, he fought two major battles against one of the most powerful nations of the day. The Persians. And the Persians outnumbered him at least two to one in those battles. Approximately by 10,000 more men than he had. But his army always won. Because whenever he went to war, Alexander the Great was right there fighting alongside his men. Not in the rear but in the front lines. Now this is the last of our sermon series called War. We repeatedly said during this series that Jesus has called us to go to war against Satan. We're not called to defend the walls of this church building. Instead, we're called to storm the gates of hell. It's a battle we can't lose because Jesus said those gates will not prevail against us. And the reason we can't lose is because God will always be there fighting his battles right beside us. And that's what we're seeing in our text this morning. Peter and John are standing in front of some very angry Sanhedrin. That's the religious rulers of the day. And the Sanhedrin were angry because these men had been preaching about Jesus and they didn't like that. They essentially asked Peter and John, who gave you permission to preach about Jesus? And notice now, We're told that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all, you and all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you today. This Jesus is the stone you rejected, but is now the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Oh, those are great words. And that's pretty bold stuff. But the Bible wants us to know, or wants us to understand, that the reason that Peter was so bold is because God was right there with him. Now, sidetrack here. You're you're talking to the Sanhedrin, the ones who just ordered Jesus' death, and Peter and John are standing before him. You think they thought they were going to get out of there alive? I don't really think they did. And and Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4-5 clearly tells us this standing here. 
But it didn't stop there. At the Sanhedrin had conferred over it, they called them back again. I love this part. And they charged them. Means they told them. They, they commanded them. Do not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. <laughs> so what did Peter and John do? They went back and gathered the whole church together for a time of prayer. And we're told that they all prayed together and the place they were gathered in was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's Acts chapter 4, verse 31, if you want to read it. The Holy Spirit filled Peter and he spoke with boldness to the Sanhedrin. And then the Holy Spirit filled the people gathered in prayer and they spoke the word of God in boldness to all in Jerusalem. And when they went to war against Satan by witnessing about their faith, God was right there with them. The Holy Spirit filled them. And they were able to speak the word of God with boldness. Sidebar here now. You know they just killed Jesus for doing that? And there are all these people out there doing that? How bold would you be? So now the question is, how does this apply to us? Does God still go to war alongside us when we too try to speak for God? It's a great question, isn't it? And it's something we should always examine as the church. For if we do not know how to pray, hmm, let me think about this. Let's see. Let me think about this. What am I going to, how am I going to word this to you? To keep this clear in our mind. Let's be clear about this. The spirit is active and vibrant. It's an active, vibrant force of life of the believer. He doesn't just sit there and watch us. He's involved with us. And in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it tells us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know how to pray, as we ought to, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sidebar here now. Have you ever not just not known how to pray and you just, you're like, oh, oh. I've prayed like that. I've not known even words to put my emotions into. That's what we're talking about. God, he, he intercedes for us. In place after place in God's holy word, it tells us that the spirit is actively involved in interceding for us when we don't know how to pray as we should. In other words, the Spirit does stuff for us. The Spirit still works inside believers, helping us when we speak up for our faith. Jesus wants us to speak up for him. Many people, it's all over Facebook, they, they, they love to quote something that Francis of Assisi said. 
Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And that is a true and accurate quote. Your personal walk with Jesus preaches much louder than your mouth will ever preach. But far too many people quote that as an excuse not to talk about Jesus. And that's really not a good idea. Jesus said, Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father in heaven. Those words of Jesus are in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, for all to read to this day. In other words, when you and I talk about Jesus to others, Jesus is impressed. In fact, he's so impressed that he points you out to his Father. Jesus brags about you if you want a modern school of thought. Why do you want to pass up pleasing Jesus? And think about that now a second. He brags about you before his Father. And what's more is when you're willing to talk about him, the Spirit will be right there beside you, helping you. In Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, we read that Jesus told his disciples, when they were, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about what you should do to defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you, sh- you ought to say. Whoa. If that applies to us, that's major. That could be earth-shaking. But how could that work? Let me give you an example. Years ago, before the Ministerial Association of Bismarck and Mandan broke up over liberalism and woke churches, and yes, it broke up over that, right? I was at our monthly luncheon, and I was talking... That's a nice word. I was talking to a couple ministers who wanted to change all the churches in Bismarck. And they knew I was their stumbling block. And they wanted to change all churches in North Dakota, and they knew I was their stumbling block. And we were discussing Christianity. And they were intent on telling me about the errors of my faith and my belief in God's holy word. And I actually was not winning the argument with them because they were no longer accepting God's holy word and were trying to keep pointing out, they were trying to point out made up errors. And I'd bring them back to the truth, right? And I, they wouldn't even act, they wouldn't even accept archaeological proof. If I said the sky was blue, they would have said it was red. They were just it's, I won't even tell you who they were, but they were, but I wasn't backing down. I don't back down. And at one point, one of them decided to educate me on my ignorance. And he said, 
Let's look at this from an unbiased point of view. In other words, he was telling me that his point of view was unbiased and mine wasn't. You know what I'm talking about here? Suddenly, I remembered a comment. Because this, this exchange was getting a little heated, right? From years before, where another teacher explained there's no such thing as an unbiased point of view. Everyone has a bias, include me. And I'll admit that up front. God's word is the bottom line. I have a bias. So I told these ministers that. And the other minister said, he's right. And they forgot all about me. And they started arguing between each other. Almost became fisticuffs. Now, was that just me remembering an offhanded statement from the past about everybody having a bias? Or was I being prompted by the Holy Spirit in what I said? Personally, I don't think I'm that smart. You know, it just popped in my head and it worked and we ended the battle. I believe that long forgotten comment about people being biased came to mind because I was willing to speak up for Jesus and God's holy word. The spirit bailed me out because God wanted me to be successful. You should have watched them fight. It was a great fight. I told you right before that it broke up not too much longer, right? See, now, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Notice it talks about being led by the Spirit. This is not a dormant, inactive spirit we have inside us. He leads us. He can do stuff with us if we are willing to stand up for our faith. Now I read a, a, you know, in my sermon research, I read a story about a rather arrogant unbeliever who told a Christian friend, I guess I'm just too proud to think that I really need religion. And the friend replied, what exactly are you proud of? That, now, the question was asked, asked, asked really, actually gently. It doesn't sound gentle when you first hear it. But the person asked it gently. And the guy who was being asked couldn't think of an answer. It, that wouldn't seem ridiculous. Later, he became a believer. And he confessed at his baptism that the one question that troubled him that led him to Christ is, what are you proud of? Now here's another thought. While the Spirit may help you and I occasionally, or all the time, to say something that speaks to a person's heart. Now here, let me start again. While the Spirit may help you and I occasionally to say something that speaks to a person's heart. It helps to be prepared. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 tells us 
We need to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, we need to know the Bible. The more we know, the more prepared we are. Anytime we quote Scripture, there's power there. Isaiah 55.11, the verses that we studied last week in which the whole sermon series is based on, and which is my favorite verse, to be honest with you, that's why you're stuck with it, says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood and fur, uh, flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for, to be eaten, so my word goes out from my mouth and it will not return to be empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Every time we quote scripture, there is power there. Power. As Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, that is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, to the joints and the marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. If you want the Spirit to work in your life, you've got to learn the Bible. That's why this church, we teach Scripture. We preach Scripture. We we tell you the chapter and the verses because the Bible is the sword of, of the Spirit, and it can change people's hearts. That's why every time we quote it, we tell you right from where it is. I actually have people steal my sermons so they can get the verses because they don't get them all read down, which is fine. I'll get it. I'll print them off. Now, another thought here. Hear it out. Before you talk about Jesus, the Spirit can prime the pump for you. I just watched one of the shows on television. That's where I got the prime the pump. Let me make sense of this for you. In John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send them to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world of guilt in regarding to sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit's job is to remind people of their sin and of their need for righteousness and of the fact there's going to come a time of judgment. And I'm convinced that if you pray about it beforehand, the Spirit can begin to tinker with the hearts of those you'd like to talk to. Don't go into the battle before you pray for them. Now, some of you know I go to McDonald's for coffee in the morning. I might be a regular there. They, they, you know, I mean, 
And I, there was another coffee group, and then I talked to this woman who was a regular at McDonald's in, in the ladies' coffee group, and she said she'd never go to church and never going to study the Bible. In her life, God was over there, and she was over here, and that's the way it's going to be all day long. Because, believe it or not, they all know I'm a preacher, and it gets brought up at McDonald's quite often. Then one day, she started going to a Bible study, and to church with two of the ladies in her coffee group, and so I didn't ask right away. I waited. I didn't want to jinx this, right? So I asked her, why? You know, it's been a while, right? And she replied, I began to realize how empty my life was. Things weren't like I wanted them to be, and I thought it was time to change my life and time to turn to God. Those two ladies worked on her for years, but it worked. I believe the Spirit was actively working in her heart and convincing her of her need for God. Now, there's one more thing I'd like you to... Well, there's never one more thing when a preacher says that, but we'll go. We'll get there. There's one more thing I would like you to think about. It's important to talk about Jesus. But if all you do is talk the talk and not walk the walk, then what you say will fall on deaf ears. But how can I walk the walk? Once again, it has everything to do with the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and then we're going to, it goes to 22 and 23. If I say I walk by the Spirit, and you will not, huh, How's that actually go? And if I walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. In other words, you know you're walking by the Spirit if your life is filled with love, joy, and peace. I'm not saying all things are going to go right. I'm not saying they ain't going to be falling around around you. But there's peace in your spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, when you worship and study and pray, Everything's changed. It's like bathing yourself in the Spirit's presence every day. And you may not even know it. You, you, but you'll show it. After a nighttime of flying to protect our troops who were under attack, a naval in Afghanistan, a naval aviator and his wingman were returning to an aircraft carrier out in the Gulf. On his way home from his mission in Afghanistan, he got vertigo. Now, vertigo is a dizzy, confused state of mind caused by an inner air something. If you've ever had it, you cannot even stand up. 
you'll fall over. You don't know top from bottom, bottom from top. If you never had it, you'll never understand this. But you can't walk down a... You, it, it's terrible. I mean, you can't walk. Some of you had it. You can't walk. You'll fall over. It, 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 and, and now picture this guy. He's in the plane. Returning and he gets it. His senses were all confused. The biggest sense of flight was in trouble. Which can be really deadly if you're going to land on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the night in the Persian Gulf. Now, he wrote, he thought his plane was flying upright. But when he looked at his instruments, he was flying upside down. And if you've never had this, you'll never understand that. But he was actually flying his plane upside down. His wingman's yelling at him. that What are you doing? Everything was backwards, according to his instrument. His wingman's trying to help him, but it's, he's, he's totally confused. All... He could do, he thought, was right there, right in front of him. Uh, everything would depend on his instruments in front of him. He said, overriding what he felt was right was the hardest thing he could do. He's, the struggle that took place in his mind was overwhelming to him. You can figure out that depending on the story. He landed on an aircraft carrier by not looking at any of the lights in the aircraft carrier, only looking at the instruments, and everything in his mind told him he was wrong. But I'm telling the story, that means he landed. He told it, told everybody in the aircraft carrier what's going on. And they actually talked about having him bail out and go fish him out of the sea because they didn't think he could do this. But the plane is worth how many millions of dollars? So they gave it a try. Think about that. They actually talked to Balaam Mount. He flew in by those things you see there. He never looked out. Vertigo was that bad. Our conscience, or our, what we've learned in our past history, you know, you are, you're made up of what your history is, can be the hardest thing to overcome. Even when we feel we're right. However, it is our relationship with God that gives us the true meaning of what is right and wrong. Am I making sense about that? We all grew up a certain way. Some of you were blessed to grow up in a wholesome environment. Some of you were blessed to grow up in a challenging environment. Yes, I said blessed because it made you stronger. Any of you ever been there where life, when you really think back what you grew up like and you're like, how did I make it through all those things, right? Well, as we get down to the end and you get all your papers put up and get ready to go home and enjoy this weekend, let me leave you with a couple things. Our knowledge of biblical principles, our understanding of what happening in at the time it was written, and our understanding of how God and His Holy Spirit got through of it, should be the guidance of our way of our life. If God were to take the Holy Spirit 
out of this world right now. Much of what is going on in many of these so-called churches around us would never, they'd never change. God designs our service. God puts it together and we change with it. We go with it. We're finishing up this series on war because you all know you're in a war. You can feel it the second you leave the sanctuary. Some of you said that you've just gotten rid of your TVs. I had one person tell me they watch the Weather Channel all day long so they don't get mad at their TV. I have to admit, when I was in motel rooms and transferring from Kmart, I used to watch the Weather Channel just to have noise on. But even the Weather Channel's weird nowadays. If you do not know God's holy word, you're giving up every arrow in your quiver. You're giving, you're making, you're taking a flat stone and making your sword dull. I would put to you that there's many ways to get God's word into your life. There is CDs, there's a computer, you can just listen to it. There are psalms being sung. You know, the psalms are songs. And they're sung. And it's wonderful to get that into your body. When you're in the lowest of low, and everything's falling apart, don't turn on television. Listen to God's word for a while. I love James Earl Jones. Oh, no, 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 no. He sounds like God. He's a Shakespearean actor who studied for a year to get every name pronounced correctly. He did that because he realized what he was going to be sharing with people. You can go on the internet and listen to him. The Gideons have an app that you can listen to every book in the Bible, and he'll speak to you over your computer. While you're making dinner. While you're traveling in your car. While you're at work. If you're fighting this battle without your sword, how are you ever going to win? you got to have the sword. you got to be filled with the sword. And that's what's happened to our churches. So many of our churches have put the sword aside and said it isn't important. Uh-uh. God's word is what we stand on. It's what those who've gone before us stand on. It's what we stand on. And we don't change his word. His word is his word. So we need to close. You get to have a wonderful weekend. How many of you got plans for tomorrow? Nobody has a plan for tomorrow? Two hands. Okay. Oh, three hands, four hands. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father... Many men and women gave up their lives that we might be here freely in this sanctuary. They paid the ultimate price that we might have the freedom to worship. We have churches around this world, Father, that have to meet in secret. We have churches, Wesleyan churches, that have been burned to the ground in Egypt and in Paraguay and countries. And we have the freedom to meet here. You give us the river that flows from the throne by the power of the Spirit. And we thank you for that. Now, Father, be with us our weekend. Grant us wisdom from your word. Help us to understand we are at war. 
And all God's people said, Amen.